This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you're a guest, we're just honored, honored to have you. If you're regular, I pray the blessing of God upon you. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up real high, and once you get a Bible, go with me the book of James chapter 4. We'll go to James 4 and then Luke 4. We're still in our series here on the wilderness experience. And so as you're turning to James 4, again, if you need a Bible, keep your hand up real high. You know, we have to ask ourselves, what's the goal of my life? Is it, is it to know about God or is it to actually know God? Do I seek the promise or do I seek the promiser? And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we pursue the dream instead of the giver of the dream. And so I believe part of the wilderness experience is to reveal who and what do I hunger for. And so a great question today. So we'll get in here. We'll get going with the Word of God today. And I believe real quick you'll begin to see the lines we're going on. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What, what an invitation that I'm invited to, to come near to God and God would come near to me. Now, I I must purpose that in my heart to do that. I must discipline myself to do that, okay? That doesn't just happen because you you feel like it. And I got to make this a, a daily habit. And so watch what he goes on to say here. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. The Amplified says, recognize that you are a sinner or quit dabbling in sin. Again, part of that, I believe, is is rooted in spiritual adultery. That he's saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Well, the way I do that is I, man, I I repent. I come before God from my heart and ask him to forgive me. He goes on to say the next part in verse 8. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your inner life, you you double-minded. In other words, you're disloyal. You waver, you have divided interest. And when you see the word double mind there, it, it, uh, it identifies a person who tries to hold on to God and hold on to the world at the same time. And so he's raising the bar on every one of us. And again, you'll hear this several times this morning about identifying my heart. Purify my heart, Father God. Change me on the inside. Verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And the reason he's talking about that is because of my my disloyalty to him and my heartfelt shame toward him. And then he ends in this last verse here in verse 10 and he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't say exalt yourself in the sight of the Lord. It said humble yourself inside of the Lord. So the Bible warns that when we exalt ourselves, anytime I do that, the result is disgraceful. I'm going to fall. But when I humble myself, man, God's going to exalt me not only in this life, but the life to come. And he ends this and he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. First Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you. And so something happens when I begin to humble myself. The opposite of humble is pride. 
First of Peter 5.5 5 says that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. It's the only place in the Bible that I can find that God will resist you. So again, part of the wilderness experience is to purge me, is to prune me, to purify me, but also to prepare me. And the way he's going to prepare us, or the one of the ways, is he teaches us to walk in humility. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So you begin to get an idea a little bit today about the wilderness experience. We'll look here at some things to the Lord Jesus. And then later on this morning, we'll look at the apostle, or not the apostle, but King David to give us a little more insight. We're going to Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now, many translations will say that he returned from the Jordan River. So what happened in the Jordan River? Jesus was water baptized. So just here off the beginning of verse 1, we see the Lord Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was water baptized. Two significant baptizes that I believe ought to bear witness with us is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in water. And so note again, this was the Lord Jesus. Then it goes on to say, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The same Holy Spirit that he was filled with led him into the wilderness, not to punish him, but to get him ready for, for the, the promises that God had spoke pertaining to the Lord Jesus. Now, an interesting insight in this verse right here, I begin to see the wilderness experience is going to be you. If you notice here, the disciples weren't with Jesus. It was just Jesus. And so I believe part of the wilderness experience for every one of us is that we learn to stand, and not only stand, we learn to stand alone at times because there's times in every one of our lives you're going to have fight Goliath yourself. And you're going to have to learn to pray yourself. And you're going to have to learn to stand yourself. And so this was what was taking place with the Lord Jesus. And so he was led by the Spirit of God. Why? Verse 2. And being tempted for 40 days by the devil, literally stated he was tried and he was tested exceedingly. So when you begin to look at this, there's, there's three main temptations that Jesus was tempted with. All of them are found in, in 1 John 2 verse 16. The, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So Jesus literally is, is going to be tempted with the physical needs and physical uh, desires, also with possessions, and the last one with pride. Now I want you to look at verse number 9, because this is the one we're going to look at today, the area of pride. Every one of us are going to have to deal with this sometime in our life. So it says here in, in uh, Luke 4 verse 9, then he, the devil, brought Jesus to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Literally stated, he set him on the highest point. He put him up as high as you could get. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, again, what he was trying to do was he was trying to get Jesus to exert the area of pride to say, you can do it. You don't need God. You can do that. And look what goes on next. 
He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Psalms 91.11. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Psalms 91.12. Now what's interesting about that passage right there is the devil is the one quoting scripture to Jesus. The devil knew the significance of scripture. And so as I begin to, to look at that, I have the thought, if the devil knows the significance to scripture, what about me and you? He knew it was that big of a deal. And so watch how Jesus responds back to him in verse 12. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt or try the Lord your God, which that word there, tempt, is rooted in pride. So one, one of the ways we combat the devil is if you were to look at all three times he was tempted here, every time Jesus would throw back scripture and he'd say, it's written, it's written. So as part of the wilderness experience, is it for us to learn the scripture? Is it for us to learn how to stand with the word of God? The word of God is alive and it's powerful. And so something happens when we begin to get a hold of the scripture. And so thank God the Lord Jesus, this was right where he was at. Verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Until an opportune time. Until the next opportunity. Now think about those words. Until the next opportunity. So you know what this tells me? Jesus was going to have more than one wilderness experience. Until the next opportunity. And so in this, in this passage here, Jesus' victories here, it was decisive. But it wouldn't be the last time that he would be tempted and so it's something for every one of us to begin to get where we understand this and we know this, that the devil's going to keep coming after you. It's not a one-time deal. As long as you're on this earth, you might as well learn you're going to have to stand in the things of God. So this morning we go to the area of pride. I don't know if you've ever really looked at the word pride, but right in the middle of that word is the letter I. The only way that God can move in our lives is we've got to get that eye out of the way and allow him to come in. So when we talk about the, the, the word pride, pride is rooted in personal ambition. Pride is rooted in self-will. And pride is rooted in independence. And a lot of times pride says this, I don't need God. I don't need God's help. But some of the chief ways that you can begin to know, uh, locate if pride is in your life, is through your achievements, through also your possessions, even your obsessions, the, the, the one's own status, the one's own importance. So what you begin to find out here with this area called pride, it'll try to show up in these areas. Now, when you get pride, the Bible says you get resisted, and the ultimate place is it's a, a downfall. You fall. With humility, you attract God's grace, and with God's grace, he'll exalt you. And so what ultimately has to happen is that I and pride's got to move out where my identity is not in, in my possessions. My identity's not in my titles. My identity's in Christ Jesus. 
I come to a place where I know who I am in Christ Jesus. My identity is not in what I do, and my identity is not in, in who you are. And so again, in this area right here, if you have to start to tell every person what you do, if you have to tell people your achievements, if you have to tell people about your possessions, if you think your identity is in a pair of Air Jordans, you're messed up. And so again, pride has a voice. Pride does not like to be quiet. Pride likes to tell everybody, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. Now, pride itself is from the devil. Isaiah 14, the devil is the author of pride. That's why he was expelled from heaven. So if we had time to go to Isaiah 14, in that passage, there's five I wills. And you know what the devil said? I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And so again, you begin to see immediately here today that that pride is rooted in I will instead of this is what God's doing. This is what God's doing in my life. See, God's not against us having possessions. And God's not against you having titles. But what he is against is when I begin to say, I, I did all this. Well, you didn't do nothing. I have that. No. You are what you are because of God. And a lot of people would say, I don't believe that. Well, again, you're, you're rooted in pride. See, here's the point this morning. God's not into your resume. He's into you. He wants you. He wants my heart. Now turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And I'm, I'm going to give you some examples about the Lord Jesus here. And I believe it will begin to show us some things and maybe even locate us in some areas. But again, pride does not like to be quiet. Pride has to tell everybody what I'm doing. So you're going to Matthew 26. In Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus, he asked his disciples, and he said, who do man say that I am? And they responded, some say you're a prophet, some say you're a priest, some say you're John the Baptist. And then he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus responded to Peter and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you. Okay? I'm going to come back and I'm going to highlight that. In Matthew 17, Jesus is on the mount. He's there with uh, James and John. He's there with one more, too. And then before long, Moses and Elijah show up. And that's when Peter said, Lord... It was Peter, James, and John. Peter said, Lord, should we get out of here right now? And that's when Father God said this. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Father God said this. I have exalted him. I've exalted Jesus. And I've given him the name which is above every name. Now, why do I highlight that? Remember, he said to Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, uh, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Lord. And Father God said, behold, this is my son. 
And so I go back and say, see, this is the point in this. Jesus never had to tell people who he was. Jesus didn't stroll into places and say, hey, I'm the son of God. See, that's pride. Remember, that was the devil's downfall. He had to start saying, I will do this and I will do that. And part of the devil's issue was this. Pride is always rooted in never repenting. I don't have to repent. When you live that way and you think you don't have to, understand, you're rooted in pride. It got him. Matthew 26, verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. And they said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, it's interesting. They said, this fellow, this fellow. Been very easy for Jesus to go, excuse me. I'm the son of God. But he didn't. Keep reading. And the high priest arose and he said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. Now remember, remember, pride is rooted in, I gotta tell people who I am. I gotta let everybody know this is what I'm doing. But yet, the Lord Jesus kept quiet. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. In other words, Jesus still wouldn't come out and say, this is who I am. And so when you begin to look at this here, not only did he never say that, but Jesus never walked around in the regions he went and said, hey, do you guys remember when I healed the blind man? Do Do you guys remember all the miracles I did? You guys remember how I I set that crazy guy from Gadara free? No, Jesus never would tell people his resume. He never would boast of himself. And so I begin to look at this over and over in my life. And part of the wilderness experience, I believe, is the death of insecurity. It's the death of pride in every one of us where God wants to use you, but he can't use you as long as you got that stinking eye in your life. Look at me, look at me, look at me. So again, pride thinks it has to be hurt. And another area of pride, pride tries to diminish and overlook what everybody else is doing is insignificant to say, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. Again, well, you know, Dylan's doing great, but I I do this a lot better than him. I I can sing a lot better than him. They sing okay, but I can do a lot better than them. See, again, anytime I have that fragrance of pride, it's the fragrance of the devil. Your cologne, your perfume, anytime it's rooted in pride, this is what begins to take place. Now turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. I said this earlier, I believe too. Anytime I'm a person that won't repent, 
You're bound by religion and you're bound by pride. And I say that even in a, in a, in a marriage covenant. That I heard Ruth Graham say this years ago, a great marriage is a result of two great forgivers. But a person who will never forgive, they're bound in religion and they're bound with the fraudulent existence and you're living a lie. It's what you're living. I think one of the most humbling things that happens as a human being is for me to have to look at someone and say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. He's talking about humble you, but when you humble yourself, you know what you just did? Woo, you attracted God's fragrance. And God said, I, I give grace to the humble. I, I give grace to the humble. And God will begin to exalt you. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. Pride precedes destruction. And a haughty or arrogant spirit before a fall. And so what you begin to see with the word pride and the word arrogant here, those attract a fall. Actually, those are like a magnet to a fall. The message says you crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Now, here's an interesting statement. The word for destruction here, it literally means broken. Broken. And so if I continue to walk in uh, uh, pride, the day's coming where I'm going to fall. I'm going to be broken. Let me tell you a little poem here. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. You know why? Because human beings aren't supposed to put each other back together again. Only Father God can do that. And so the only way this brokenness, and we're all broken, only way this brokenness takes care of itself is when I begin to come under Father God and say, okay, Father God, begin to work in me. Begin to work in me. Put, put humility in me. Don't, don't let pride cause me to fall. Remember, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall because Humpty Dumpty, was, he was rooted in pride. And I don't care who we are when we're rooted in pride. Pride, destruction. Pride, fall. It's going to happen. Proverbs 21 says this. Proverbs 21, 4. Haughty eyes and an arrogant or prideful heart is sin. Whoa. Whoa. Haughty eyes and a proud heart is sin. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at pride or arrogance as sin, but that's what the Bible says. So anytime I get into a position and I think I'm better than someone else, that's sin in God's eyes because you're full of pride. When you think because the color of your skin, you're superior to someone else, you're in pride, Humpty. Did he call me Humpty? 
See, again, that, that's the thing about every one of us as human beings. I don't know if this, this may be a mystery to you, a great revelation. But none of us in this room chose what color skin we'd be. And none of us in this room chose what gender we would be. God did. And God created us, all of us. And again, you begin to see this stuff called pride and that yuck that goes with it. That's part of our, our problem with our society right now. I don't know if you realize it. And this world's a mess right now. And I believe a lot of it's rooted in pride. Oh, I'm better than you. No, you're not. You know, it was real interesting last week when we were down at the orphanage. Uh, the lady who runs the orphanage, Josephine, she's 80 or 81 now. And uh, every morning she reads the Juarez Times. I don't know what the, it's, it's the Juarez newspaper. I just call it the Juarez Times. Well, I still like to read the newspaper. It dates me as old, I know, but that's okay. Well, I pick up the Juarez newspaper, but I don't speak Spanish very good. Buenos dias. Here's you a good one. Dios sabe. God knows. God knows. But I begin to look at the pictures. And I can read the pictures. I can tell what's going on. And she tells me that there are 18,000 immigrants there right now. 18,000. And she proceeds to tell us that there's five young ones that have been taken into the orphanage because they're, they're Nicaraguan in, immigrants. And I got to be around all five of them. And she said, that youngest one right there, when they brought him in, he was severely malnourished. And I just began to see the love of God that I looked and I thought, these are just people. Now, I'm not making a political state. I'm not running for president, even though I've thought about it a few times. <laughs> I'd like to lay my hands on some of them. But what I begin to see is God created all of us. And God doesn't like it when we get in and start thinking we're better than anybody else. And so again, when I, I begin to look at all this, arrogance and pride is sin in God's eyes. Now, every time I've read that the last few weeks here, I begin to say, Lord, rid me of arrogance. Rid me of pride. I, don't want, I do not want that cologne smell on me. Now go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. And as you're turning there, let, let me tell you what's going on. The king was a man named Saul, but Saul got into disobedience. He wouldn't obey God, so God said, I got to get rid of you. I got to get someone, a man after my own heart. And so God sends this man named Samuel, the prophet, into an area called Bethlehem. And he says, I want you to go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite's house, and there you'll find the next king. Now, this guy named Jesse, the Bethlehemite, his, he's the grandson of a man named Boaz and a woman named Ruth. That's who this is. So you begin to see the lineage of King Jesus. So he goes in there and the people of the Bethlehem area say, are you coming in peace? And he said, I'm coming in peace. They knew who he was. They knew. That's Samuel the prophet. So when they find out what he's there for to anoint the next king from Jesse's house, they're like, that's a no-brainer. That's easy. 
It's Eliab. He's the eldest. He's the brightest. He's the strongest. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. See, again, that's what we do. We, we look at people's credentials. We look at their stature. But look what he goes on to say. Because I've refused him, I've rejected him, I've eliminated him. Why? For the Lord does not see as man sees, for the man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's looking at something within our heart. What's your heart pointed at right now? And so what begins to take place is Jesse brings son one, two, three, four, five, six, seven before Samuel. And each time they would pray it in, he'd say, uh-uh, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. So we pick up in verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. I don't know if you read into that. Yeah, there remains one. He's just the youngest. And so I, I begin to sense when I studied, he said that in an insignificant way. He's the youngest, but he's not really significant. And then the message, you know what the message says? Yeah, there's one left. He's the run of the bunch. He's just the run of the bunch. So in his dad's eyes, in his brother's eyes, you, you really don't have any significance. And oftentimes in our lives, we grow up with labels that try to bind you, that try to bind me. And if I'm not careful, instead of my identity coming from who God says I am, I allow other people to say, you're a runt. Don't allow those labels to bind you, okay? Man, it's important that I start saying about myself what God says. That I can be what God says, I can do what God says, and I can have what God says. It's big. Keep reading. Yet he's the youngest. And there he is, keeping sheep. There he is. And you know what? All he does is keep the sheep. Now, when you see about keeping the sheep, that, that was like at the bottom of the barrel. That's, that's, that's the, the, the worst job you can have almost. And so again, you begin to see the insignificance they place on him. But in Zechariah 4.10, it says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Matthew 25 in the parable of the talent, it says, if you're not faithful with the little, you'll never be faithful with the much. So if you're not faithful with the sheep, you're not going to be faithful as the president. Not going to happen. And so again, when I begin to look at how they said he was insignificant, I begin to think, okay, in this world, it's not just what I do. But it's how I do it. And who do I do it unto? And so I, I don't care if you think you have the most insignificant job in the world right now. Who, who are you doing it as to? 
How are you doing it? Because the Bible is very clear. When I do things as unto the Lord, when you get up and go to work tomorrow morning, you say, I'm going to work today and I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. It changes everything because God sees. And so here he is, a little shepherd boy. And remember this about a shepherd boy. You're all alone. And so as Jesus was led to the wilderness alone, this young guy named David, he's out in the wilderness alone. But while he was in the wilderness alone, guess what began to take place? He began to understand what it meant to praise God. It, it was, how do I worship God? How do I hang out with God when no one else is around? Dios sabe, God only knows. God knows. God sees. So what I do in the private is what will promote me to the public. But when I fail in my private life, God doesn't say, pass him on through. And so let me ask you right now. Are there areas in your private life right now that you're failing? Just remember this. That could be why I'm still in the wilderness. And oftentimes we stomp our foot and we get mad at God and we're like, I've been involved in this job for 20 years and I've never got promoted. Well, don't blame God when you keep flunking the test. Man, Pastor, you are preaching good. Your challenges right now may be your greatest asset because remember, difficulties mastered are opportunities won. Verse 12. So he sent and brought David in. Now he was ruddy. One translation said he, he, he was warlike nature. He, he had something in his eye. Just that little glitter in his eye. And it goes on to say there, he, he was ruddy. He was bright eyes, which represented his kindness. And, and he was good looking or becoming as a king. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Now, I don't know about you. When I get to heaven, I'm going to watch this rerun right here. Because I can only imagine what those seven older brothers did. They, their heads probably twisted off when they said, he's the one. They were like, the rot? How can that be? And I'm sure Jesse the Bethlehemite, the dad, he's like, Sammy, you've been smoking the wrong, you got the wrong one. <laughs> Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of the oil, he anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David. It's, it's an interesting statement. The same Holy Spirit that filled the Lord Jesus filled this guy named King David. Woo, man, when you get into the wilderness, you got to have the Holy Spirit. Woo, I welcome your Holy Spirit. I welcome you into my life. And so he filled him with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And a lot of times we look when we read that and say, what a story. He goes from the pasture to the palace. Not. Thirteen years expire. And in those 13 years, he experiences incredible persecution, incredible rejection, and God keeps working in him, and God keeps working in him, 
And literally, when you see how he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, to me, it's Ephesians 2.10, where at that moment, David became God's workmanship. And God said, I'm going to work in you to will and to do my good pleasure. God started saying, I'm the potter and you're the clay. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to make you. And so I believe this is what begins to happen with King David in this time. And so with every one of us in this room, you may have dreams. You've had God give you great dreams. Some of you have had great visions. Some of you have had great callings. Some of you have had great gifts. Some of you have been anointed for this and this and this. But when you have to start bragging and boasting about all your giftings and your callings, get ready. Because you're going to the wilderness to get humble. Again, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that God's called you and God's gifting you and anointed you. But that isn't because of you. That's because of him. Woo, it's God. I thank you, Father God. I, I thank you. This is what you're doing in my life. I thank you. I thank you. Everything reverts back to praise them. Everything's got to go back to God. Thank you, Father God, for putting me in this position. Well, the reason I'm in this position is because I'm a doctor. No, you're not. You're in that position because God blessed you. And as long as you stay humble, he's going to keep promoting you. So this is where we go. Remember, pride has to tell everybody what I'm doing. So not long after David is anointed the next king, his brothers are in this great valley, in this battle with this big guy named Goliath. And remember, David, he, he, he goes up to the battlefront to take his brothers some cheese. They're Green Bay Packer fans, I guess. And so he goes back up there. And he sees the armies of Israel. And when he sees the armies of Israel, he doesn't say, hey, boys, you know who I am. And then he walks up and he sees his brothers and he goes, I know who you seven knuckleheads know who I am. I'm the next anointed king. You know that. And then when he got around King Saul, he didn't say, you know who I am. And then when he goes to fight Goliath, he doesn't say, you know who I am. He never mentions that he was the anointed king of Israel. But you know what I find out he did say? He looked at Saul and he said, King, chill. The God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and from the paw of the lion, he'll deliver me from that uncircumcised Philistine. And then when he went to face Goliath, he didn't say, you know who I am. You know what he said to him? He said, how dare you mess with the armies of the living God, the Lord of hosts. And so what I began to find out about this guy named David, his boast was always in his God. That was David's secret sauce. He knew that. It wasn't because I got this title. And I found that out through his entire life. I studied and I studied and I studied. And the only time I found in his life where he ever mentioned it was when he was already king. And he said it in 2 Samuel 6 to his first wife, whose name was my hit a bunch of wives. And he said it to her. She was the daughter of Saul. Other than that, I can never find him doing that. And so again, pride is rooted. I got to tell people. I got to tell them. I'm doctor this. I got to tell them. 
I'm the CEO. I got to tell them. I'm the class Victorian. You know what that means? I'm pretty sharp. You're not the sharpest tool in the shed, I promise you. And so again, anytime I'm rooted in where I got to tell people my, my, my titles, I got to tell people my, you know where I live? You know, you know what I drive? Well, God could give a flip if you drive a Toyota Tercel or a Mercedes. He could care less. God's looking at my heart. And the way God begins to promote us is he promotes us when we have an inner heart or an inner life that says, I'm coming before you humble, Father God. I'm humble. Everything I have is because what I drive, Father God, if it's brand new, if it's a piece of junk, it's because of you. My bank account's because of you. All my earthly possessions are because of you. My marriage is blessed because of you. I have this great calling. I sing like the angels. Not, I don't do that. But again, it's because of you, Father God. Why don't you stand up here with me? Woohoo! Again, I said this earlier. God doesn't want your resume, He wants you. And I'm going to speak this over you right here. This is Acts 17, verse 28, and it says, In Him I live, and in Him I move, and in Him I have my being. I like to say it this way. I might as well not start to move unless I'm moving in him. And I believe that was King David. He said, man, I come before you. Do you know, one of the, the greatest or significant things I saw with King David is when he got into sin. And he went a little stretch of time, but he wouldn't repent. But before long, he repented. He came to God and he said, I repent. I repent. Psalms 51, he said, Lord, only against you have I sinned. Only against you have I transgressed. And and when he said that, you know what he asked the Lord to do? He didn't say, don't take my my kingship from me. Don't take this position of influence. He said, don't take your spirit from me. Don't, Don't take your joy from me. The most significant things to King David was on the inside, not what was outside. Let me ask you today. You got some of that I, that pride right here in your heart that needs to come out? Again, I'm, I'm not standing to say, come do that for me. God knows. God knows. Come before God today. And I'm telling you guys, my prayers, Lord, take any of that. Take any arrogance. Take any pride. Lord, I, I, I don't want to live with that. And you know what? If you do have it, remember in God's eyes it was sin. Let's repent for it. Say, Lord, stir up with me. Stir up. I believe this with all my heart. And some of you are in situations right now, not, not only maritally, but maybe even with friends and stuff. If you'll repent, God gives grace to the humble. I'm not repenting. I'm not repenting. Not until she repents or he repents. I'm not doing it. God resists the proud. God resists the proud. That's what he does. It's like a stiff arm in football. And I'm telling you, man, when I begin and put on that robe of humility and say, and Lord, I've blown it. I'm going to have him sing. 
I welcome you down here today. I, I believe God's going to do some mighty things in here, some heart transplants today. Go ahead, guys. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.